Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pegnata, with you guys as always. And uh, for the first time in probably about 35 episodes, Josh Marlowe is here. Uh, And it's not because of him, it's because there has been so many recruiting editions of the podcast. We actually have, believe it or not, another one coming up. Uh, that'll be on Sunday. Uh, Zach was not able to do tonight, um, so what we're going to do is we're just going to circle around, talk about Chris Culliver and the two offensive line targets uh, that are going to commit over the weekend. We will talk about them on Sunday. Uh, so today's edition of the podcast, we're going to have you know a, a discussion about the ACC schedule, sort of shifting formats. We were planning on doing this podcast much earlier than this. But then after they release this news, college football just decides, yeah, we're going to completely torpedo that news, potentially destroy the conference that just decided it's going to reset its entire format. Um, and so on the back end of this conversation, we will then let you hear a joint conversation that we had about conference realignment, everything like that. We'll give you our opinions uh, Josh will try not to get us uh, removed from doing podcasts. <laughs> um, and also, he does, I think at one point, challenge Jim Phillips to uh, a, a SIRS duel. Um, so we will we'll let you hear that. But we got to talk about this, th- this schedule format because for the time being, at least, this is the plan for Carolina moving forward. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't start until 2023, so this may never be put into effect here. But um, this is—I don't know how to feel about this schedule format. So, so I guess first of all, let's let let me lay out the differences. So, as of right now, the way that it works is basically what I I label it as a four-six-two format. So it's four out of conference opponents, or 
or whatever the hell you want to consider Notre Dame. I, I don't even know what to consider them now. Before at a conference opponents, it's six conference opponents from your division and two from the other division. In this case, for Carolina, the Atlantic. And one of them is a protected rival. So so really, it's it's basically a 4-6-1-1 is, is pretty much how it works. The new format is a lot different. Yep. It goes to a 4-3-5, how I label it, or as they like to label it when they put out the release, a 3-5-5 model. But the 4-3-5, so again, still four out-of-conference opponents. This is not the schedule is growing. There's only going to be eight conference games. The difference is the eight conference games are distributed a lot differently. The three is there are three protected rivals that you play every single year. Just like your divisional opponents previously, you will play those three teams every year, guaranteed. The other five are rotating. Now, here is the misnomer about how this works. Most people believe that that means, okay, you have one set of opponents one year, another set of opponents the next year. That's not how it works. It's basically just... In a four-year span, you have to play every other opponent that's not amongst those three at least twice. You have to play them home and away. It can be in back-to-back years. You could play them the first year and then not play them again until the fourth year. That's how, that's pretty much how it works. But somewhere within that four-year pod, you have to play a team twice. So that's how it's it's basically set up. Um and, you know, this is a podcast that, look, if Carolina, let's say Carolina and State, were their divisions were swapped. Everything else was still the same, but their divisions were swapped. More than likely, this podcast would probably be a rather cheery, exciting one because we would have just gone through a stretch where Clemson was extremely dominant. And even last year, Wake Forest was the team that got the opportunity to go out of the Atlantic. But... This definitely, in a lot of people's minds, favors the Atlantic mm-hmm. more than it favors the Coastal. So, how how do you feel about this scheduling format? First, as as a Tar Heel fan, and then as a journalist. Well, so the first thing they got right was Carolina's main three opponents, which, in our eyes, it wasn't much of a debate. It should have been Duke, NC State, and Virginia. And that's who the ACC gave Carolina's their three primary uh, opponents. So we'll see Duke every year, as we should. We'll see State every year, as we should. Mm -hmm. And we'll see Virginia every year, the South's oldest rivalry, as we should. So they got that part right. Kudos, Jim Phillips. You didn't mess this up. Overall. Just just wait. Just wait till later in the podcast for the Jim Phillips slander, folks. Overall, um, from a Carolina perspective, this makes it harder to envision them getting to the ACC title game more frequently. And the biggest reason you say that is because, well, Carolina was in the Coastal. You've had Coastal chaos for literally the last decade. Um, and you you made the conference title game one time. Um, now, of course, now one year you would have made it, but the program was on probation. Then in 2020, had Notre Dame, you know, not been in the ACC because of COVID, you would have went. You 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 most likely would have went had you played a full normal schedule and stuff like that. But you had a hard time getting there when the the coastal was separated from the Atlantic. 
And look, Clemson's coming off a down year where they went 10-3. and three. You have NC State who, um, as much as we, we talk crap about what Dave Doran and, and, and that program, they've got a solid thing going over there in Raleigh. They're going to be a trendy top 10 team this season, and um, they there's well, a good chance that— That never fails. Come on. There's a good chance that that could be sustained. Same thing with Wake Forest, with what Dave Clawson has built. Um, Boston College is on the up with Jeff Halfley there, and, and Louisville is still a, a program that you get the right quarterback, as we've seen with Lamar Jackson there. They can be playing big-time football in no time, so— it definitely it, it, it makes it harder for Carolina to get there. And then on their own side, um, look at what well, look at the infusion of Miami since um, they hired Mario Cristobal. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm starting to get a little bit of the tummy the tummy rumbles from that. Um, I again, look, they still got to prove it because I, they have recruited well. That's never been their issue, but they're recruiting even better than they yeah. used to. So. You got Miami, yeah. Virginia Tech. Um, Brent Pry's not a sexy hire, but he's he's doing a lot of the same things at Virginia Tech. At Miami, it's just on a different scale where there's new energy, there's new there's new life, um, and when when they have talent, they can win. And so all those things I didn't even mention Florida State. Well, Pittsburgh, and you got P- Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh who's going to be there. right there? So it's going to make it harder for Carolina to get there. As a fan of the conference, we needed this. Because, look, if, if the Syracuses and the Boston Colleges and the Louisvilles are going to be ACC football members, we should see them on the football field. And Wait a second. You just complimented Boston College and Louisville for being teams that can win. And but now no, you're what I'm dumping saying on is them? that we don't see them. Well, like how many times has Carolina seen them since they joined the conference? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's, that's it's true. Not, it's not a lot. Whereas now we'll see them at least twice every four years. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's for for a conference that can't do what the Big Twelve does, because the Big Twelve everybody plays each other. Well, because it's a smaller conference, you know too. exactly. Yeah. And with the SEC, you can't play each other. But I mean, this is a good scheduling model for the ACC. It should breed a more competitive conference from top to bottom. Um, and it, it'll be a good test for Carolina and for Mac Brown, um, to to get their program in the top three or four of the ACC year in year because that's going to be the new goal. Yep. It's not. I don't think it's going to be make the ACC title game because it's not going to be as easy. The new goal is going to be if you're finishing in the top three or four with a deeper conference with Clemson, still going to be Clemson. I think Miami's on the verge of being the Miami that we never got to see from a national power. I think the same thing could be said with Florida State with NIL. And then you add in what NC State's doing, what, what Wake Forest is doing and stuff like that. If Carolina can just compete with those schools on a consistent basis, you'll be happy with the results more often than not. I mean, I get, yeah, I don't know. I'm, my goal would still be to make the ACC championship game consistent. Every three to four years. Because I think that you've got a coach that that's the reason you brought him in. I Look, I know we've had this argument multiple times that it was a different time period when he won a national championship, everything like that. But especially now that you're going and getting another guy that in the college football world in general is seen as a relative heavy hitter in Gene Chizik, look, the goal is to win, win now, and win at a pretty big level. And the other thing is you are recruiting at the level that you need to to make ACC title games. There are teams, look, Wake Forest is not recruiting off the charts. They've made an ACC title game. 
Pittsburgh, not recruiting off the charts. They're, they're recruiting pretty well, but they're not recruiting at the level that Carolina has been recruiting recently. Your goal should still be to make the ACC championship game. And look, I get what you're saying. And I think we're in a weird time period in the ACC because Clemson, we don't know what the direction of Clemson is. Yeah, we think Clemson could potentially bounce back this year, but there's there's that chance that, look, they lost two extremely talented coordinators to head coaching jobs. They lost other guys on that staff, and they decided to hire from within. They didn't go outside of it, so you've got guys that are taking on bigger roles now than they ever have before. You've still got overall questions about them not using the transfer portal at all, um, except once. They have used it once. Hunter Johnson, who came back and is actually now on the roster, or not even on the roster, on the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So they don't use. So there is questions about that. And then for Miami, it's like I said, they're recruiting at a high level, but they've got to prove it on the field. So until those schools kind of prove to us what they are, I don't know how Carolina stacks up against those two. Maybe those two come out and absolutely dominate because of NIL and just the Clemson brand has grown that big in college football. And we have to say, okay, being third, that's that's where we need to get to. But for right now, I'm still comfortable saying, even with the division splits, I, I think that you you should still have the goal of making the ACC championship game every year. That That should be your goal. That's not to say, look, every year that they don't make it is a complete failure. But when you walk into that locker room, that should be one of your main goals right up there at the top of the board. Um, and my thing is, is you know, as a, as a general ACC fan, I like this because, yes, I think it gives you, first of all, it gives you a better chance to make it into the college football playoff because there are years and it's it's been it's been a little while now that's why I think the narrative of the ACC coastal just being completely terrible is a flawed one I mean yeah you have the outlier seasons like a few years ago when Pittsburgh was here and they finished the season seven and seven but for the most part it's been a lot more even behind Clemson in the Atlantic and the entirety of the coastal and it was proven in 2020. If Notre Dame wouldn't have been let into the conference because your boy, Jim Phillips, wanted to try to cozy up to him and make a move, he was the dude at the house party that's eyeing the chick from across the room the entire night and decides, I'm going to take a risk here. It worked out for a little bit, but then, hey, Notre Dame, they saw they saw someone else that they liked a little bit more, left you once again. So... Carolina would have been in the ACC championship game. So I, I I think that it eliminates that that stupid conversation about oh well if the if there weren't divisions in this conference then it would be so much more competitive. Get the hell out of here with that. I think it eliminates that and I think that's that's what's needed. Um but yeah, as a Carolina fan, I can't deny that I am concerned. Now is my concern level at the same level as it is for them leaving for the Big Ten or SEC? No. <laughs> no. Now, in in those cases, it would be a little bit, there would be a little bit more concern. Um, I think there is a path for Carolina to still be successful with this setup, but it's going to be, it's going to be tough. And one of the other things that 
was released on that day. We'll go ahead and look at some of these upcoming schedules. And you tell me what you're thinking of these, these schedules. I, I kind of gave a little breakdown of each one. Carolina, as, as you would expect with Carolina football, the first schedule that they'll have next year in 2023, which, by the way, what have we heard about Carolina football now this offseason? 2023 could be your year. Carolina at home, they will host Duke. As you have to. Miami, Syracuse, and one of their other protected opponents, Virginia. On the road, Carolina will travel to Clemson, NC State, Pittsburgh, and Georgia Tech. That is not what Carolina was probably hoping for laying on their schedule with Clemson State and Pittsburgh on the road. Yeah, no, the very first year of the new scheduling model, and that's that's one of the tougher schedules we've seen Carolina play here as of late. Um, it would be a scenario where, um, and look, the ACC, they know what they're doing, so they probably had enough awareness to understand that Carolina in 2023 could be really, really good. So let's schedule marquee matchups. We'll send them to Death Valley. Let's send them up to Pittsburgh, probably on a Thursday night. Um, and so it, it's it's going <laughs> to no, be uh, we've never seen that before. You know, it's it's a very tough schedule, but it's it's manageable if you take care of your games at home. If you can take care of Duke, Syracuse, and Virginia at home, Miami. You know, projecting forward, Miami is going to be a really tough team to beat. Year in, year out. But, but if we're talking about them being in contention for the ACC, that schedule doesn't lend to that. The, to that happening. No, but what I, with Miami, that's a game you'd have to win. Yeah, it, it's just that simple. And you'd have to win at least a road game, if not two road games, between. Oh yeah, Clemson, Pitt, and and, and NC State. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, and, and here's the thing, Pitt, Pitt's. Weird, because here th- this is the thing about them. They've had now Kenny Pickett as a veteran quarterback. Now they're going to Keaton Slovis. Good chance he could leave after the season's over as well. So is this going to keep going with them? Are they going to become this team that brings in a transfer quarterback every year? Will they eventually have to play a young guy? So who and the th- and that's the same thing with State. State could be a team. This is. NC State's year. If they don't do it this year, they're going to lose a ton off of that team. So, again, a lot of things can change. But just sitting here today, that is the toughest of the four schedules that were released. I don't Mm. think there's any question. Because, first of all, there is a chance that, depending on where you play Clemson, they may still not have lost at home in, like, 50-something games. Yeah. So, that's, that's asking a lot. Year two... A little more manageable, but there are some roadblocks here. At home, Carolina hosts Boston College, State, Pitt, Virginia Tech. On the road at Duke, at Florida State, at Louisville, and at Virginia. Um, the ones that concern me here, of course, Virginia Tech. I don't care that it's in Keenan. That's that's a thorn in the side of the Tar Heels. Speaking of a thorn in the side, this one is of Mac Brown in specific. That's Florida State on the road. That's one that right here today, most people would say, well, why aren't you that confident in that game? He's never beaten them. 
So, and then you've got toss-up games with teams like Louisville and Virginia, although maybe I'm alone in this. I think it's going to take Virginia some time, especially they'll be they'll be solid this year, but once they lose Brendan Armstrong, that's that's a that's basically starting from scratch there. It's going to be tough. Yeah, that's a schedule that actually lends more favor to to Carolina being competitive at the top because your home slate is BC at home, probably a a, a state program that's in transition or still transitioning. Same thing with Pittsburgh and then Virginia Tech and then your road matchups. At Duke, you should win. Mm-hmm. And then at Louisville and at Virginia, I mean, Louisville could have a new head coach by then. Virginia, I agree. I think Tony Elliott can do a good job there if they give him the five years it's going to take to, to build that thing up and actually give him a, a facility to to uh, to host recruits in. And then you got Florida State, which is always um, – you just always expect to lose because Mac Brown can't beat them. But that's a much more manageable schedule for a team for Carolina with the way they're recruiting – should be rather experienced and, you know, projecting forward that 2023, 2024, 2025 time frame is probably their best chance of them, you know, making an ACC title game in the new format. Yeah, I think that definitely is one that lends well because then you go to the next year. Let's go to 2025. Now, this one I think is the second toughest. First of all, you bring Clemson to Chapel Hill. Look, the last time you hosted them there – you almost beat them. They were the number one team in the country. Again, Carolina is still recruiting on a good enough level where uh, you never you never really know. And who knows where Clemson will be at at that point. You got Duke at home, Georgia Tech, and Virginia. That, just right there, that should be three wins. Mm-hmm. The problem is on the road at Miami, at State, at Wake Forest, and then, then Syracuse. So... It's pretty tough. I will. This is the thing here. I think clearly Miami, you fear the long-term outlook. And then when you look at the two in-state teams, I'm more confident that Wake Forest will be the better team of the two because I think what he's what what Clawson's got going there is stability. That's, and that's Sam Hart will still be on the roster. He, more than likely, he will he will be in his eighth year uh, on the roster, but. You know, state, who knows? But that's still, to me, that is the second toughest road slate that they have. Yeah, no, the the road games are, are very daunting because uh, Miami um, has been a place where um, in the last time we played there, it didn't look too bad. But there have been other times where we played there and it's looked awful. At NC State, depending on where state is, um, under Dave Doran, you would imagine that that would be a year where they're kind of back to where they are this year where they've got a lot of talent a lot of experience, and they're going to be competitive. And then we can't say enough about what Dave Clawson has done at Wake Forest and what he's going to continue to do because he's just that solid of a football coach. So that would be a year for Carolina where, you know, if you want to compete for the ACC, you probably got to upset Clemson at home and you got to steal a game on the road that you probably shouldn't win. But that's what's going to take in this new model where it's kind of like, you know, with teams in the NFL that – that, uh, that that find themselves winning the division when they shouldn't be is being really good at home and finding a way to win a road game or two um, along the way. If Carolina can do that, they'll have themselves playing in a meaningful game for the ACC late in November. And, I mean, it's just it's also about how you develop your roster. Is this a group that, you know, with, with new coaches in place develops better overall, or is it a group that still is kind of having its, its – 
fits and starts. You know, I mean, we'll have to see. Um, you know, and then I mean, again, this is this is the tricky part. I think twenty twenty three, it's pretty easy to kind of predict where these programs will be. When you get to twenty twenty six, it really you have no idea. But nope. the thing is, is just looking at this. I mean, unless some of these programs take a complete 180 here very quickly, this looks this unfortunately that's a long time to wait if if they're still in the ACC. Florida State at home, Louisville, NC State, Wake Forest. So you get State and Wake at home. Those are honestly, I will t- I, I'll say this at the, looking at the rest of the schedule, and you can kind of figure it out from here. Those might be their two toughest games. Mm-hmm. Then you've got BC on the road, Duke, Virginia, and Virginia Tech. Now, of course, you got to go to Lane Stadium. <sighs> that that's one you really. Hopefully, by that point, it will have been long enough where Carolina can shake off the Lane Stadium woes and find a way to win a game there. Um, Florida State. Hopefully they will. Hopefully they beat him in twenty four, and they get that monkey off their back. Who knows, honestly, if Mac Brown will even be here? That's another element to all of this. I think that's the biggest question. Looking at that twenty twenty six schedule, but, is is right. It's more of a Mac Brown retiring again, or I mean, look, we there, there's a scenario where if the program underachieves this year. And for another year or two, that they could be in a situation where they're forced to move on with them. But that schedule is very attractive, mm-hmm. just from the opponents and where, where you play them and stuff like that, where you would feel comfortable winning three games on the road, BC, Duke, and Virginia. And then, you know, maybe Virginia Tech, you steal one. And then at home, you would feel comfortable getting at least three of those games in your backyard. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, is that's still five years away and with recruiting – the transfer portal, conference realignment, um, coaches leaving for jobs left and right. Are we sure college football is actually existing by like, this time? Like you just, I mean, 2026 is, it's it's a really long time to even wait, and hopefully we're not waiting that long to see Carolina in Charlotte. But from a scheduling standpoint, that one's very attractive to see Carolina competing for a conference championship. Yeah, can we swap that with uh, 2023? Can we just move that one up a little bit, move that 2023 schedule to t- 2026? We'd appreciate that. But, yeah, this, I mean, again, and, and and that's the thing about this is, look, it's fun to look ahead at these and see these opponents and, and, and try to project, but there are so many different things. I mean, we could come back and do this in a year, and it's going to be completely different. So that's the funny part about all of this. But we wanted, you know, they they put them out. We wanted to talk about them. Um, And, and yeah, and I somehow did not comment on this earlier, but I think it's pretty clear from the other podcasts that we've done. uh, I think they nailed it with the three opponents. I think Duke, State, Virginia. It's important to keep the South's oldest rivalry. There's a reason why that game has been played so many times. It doesn't have the vitriol and hatred that some of these other ones do, but you know, over the years, it's it's been pretty competitive. There are some pretty historic games, some ones that stick with Carolina fans in particular um, from the Mac Brown era. There, uh, that that I, I think 
you know, kind of lend well to them keeping that rivalry. The thing with Wake Forest is, is look, Carolina is going to still play them two times in a four-year window, and I think that's fine. Um, there's not as much history between the two schools. I know there were a lot of people that wanted to see just all of the triangle teams matching up against each other, but that's not how it worked out, and I, ha- I have to say this was the right move for them. No question about it. Well, here's the problem with all of this. All of this could mean absolutely nothing. Conference realignment is now officially in its next stage. UCLA, USC bolting for the Big Ten. When we come back on this edition of the podcast, we are going to talk to you about conference realignment. We go in depth. It's a little bit back and forth. We talk a little bit about basketball. It was a combo uh, part of the of the podcast. So make sure you guys stick around for that and hear why all of this stuff that we just talked about could mean absolutely nothing as soon as tomorrow afternoon. Check it out right after this on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. I know there's a lot of you that are Braves fans. Go and bet on the Braves and their upcoming series on DraftKings Sportsbook. I know I'll be doing the same for my New York Mets. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN. PN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Josh and Anthony, back with you guys today. Uh, kind of a unique edition of the show as um, you're actually going to hear some of this audio across both platforms, both the Four Corners podcast and the Heel Tough blog podcast as we, uh, we tackle conference realignment. Um, something that is back in the fold after USC and UCLA bolted for the Big Ten last weekend and uh, initially setting off another wave of commentary alignment. And there's a lot of different options on the table for Carolina, both from a football and basketball perspective. So we're going to walk through all of that stuff for you guys today, give our thoughts, opinions. I'm going to bury the ACC and so much more, but you got to dig them up first, right? Because I feel like you've you've already buried them pretty deep here. By the way, I I do want to preface this by saying that on the football side of things, they won't hear this part because I'm going to cut it right to where we start the conversation. But the best part about the football podcast, if you guys head over and listen to that, that was supposed to be. ACC scheduling format and the news that they were moving the headquarters to Charlotte, which you were going to bury the ACC for that move anyways. Yep. Now, now they want to do away with the whole conference maybe. So this this could be 
you could take a steaming a steaming dookie right on top. I mean, this this could be unbelievably over the top. Yeah, it's going to be pretty bad. Um, and it's it's deserved, and it's and they've earned the right to be crapped on, literally and figuratively. Oh, okay. Um, but we start every edition as we do on the four corner side of things with our pod thought of the day. Then we go back to the goat, that being Michael Jeffrey Jordan, who said some people want it to happen, some wish it would happen, and others make it happen. And uh, I think that talks a lot about where we are now with with college athletics. Kevin Warren has made it happen. Um, Where some people wanted conference realignment to to happen, Um, some wished it would happen, and then the SEC and the Big Ten, within the last two years, they've made it happen. There's also some that wish it wasn't going to happen, and yet here we are. And uh, this really all started last, last summer. When at the end of SEC media days, it was announced as they were literally leaving Alabama that they were adding Texas and Oklahoma um, in 2025, 2026, and that was supposed to start off another wave of realignment. Well, everything kind of just held pat. The ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, they formed the alliance um, to – prevent what happened last weekend from happening. The Big 12 made some additional moves, bringing in some schools from the American, some strong additions to save their conference. But we kind of all thought, well, this is kind of not going to happen again for a while. And then last Thursday at 1.30, um, it was announced that the Big 10 was adding USC and, US- and UCLA, and it was all but, a, all but a formality. We never heard a rumor. We never. There oh was, no, no. Yeah, we did. We heard a rumor at ten thirty that morning that USC and UCLA were apparently looking at the Big Ten. Uh, this all applying. happened in eight hours. Yes, where these two. It's unheard of. These two schools mainstays on the West Coast. Um, USC a football power, UCLA a longtime basketball power, joining the Big Ten. Um, and and the biggest thing about it when we first heard this news was that makes no sense geographically because the Big Ten is primarily in the Midwest. They're on the West Coast, which makes a lot of sense. But as we've learned since realignment started 20 years ago, at the hands of the ACC, geographics no longer matter. Well, yes, but this is an entirely new level of not matter. You're, you are literally talking about going from one coast to another coast. Rutgers plays in Piscataway, New Jersey, which is relatively close to the East Coast in New Jersey. And they are going to have to go, I think it's like almost 3,500 miles to play a conference game. I mean, that's that's insanity. Um, And, you know, from, from the basketball standpoint, if you're looking at this, how does this make sense? You're talking about when they play road road games, it's probably going to have to be road stretches mm-hmm. for USC and UCLA because how is it going to make sense for them to play, let's say, Indiana midweek? Let's say USC has to play Indiana midweek. Well, then they come home and they have to play Illinois on Saturday. That's not going to that there's no way so in terms for football 
this is why it shows you, if you have any questions about what realignment is focused on, this should show you right here what realignment is focused on. They don't give a damn about any sport but football. And to me, look, I'm the football guy on on this site, on on, Heel Tough, on the Heel Tough blog site, and I run the football podcast. I love college football. I prefer college football over college basketball of the two. But at the same time, this to me makes absolutely no sense because you are hurting other revenue sports like basketball, like baseball, that you, to me, you you still need that to be a part of your athletic department. You cannot, I don't see how you can just run off of football, but apparently that's what these schools pretty much think because they are, they are not really caring about the ramifications on the other sports. And so with that decision, um, we're now waiting for the next domino. And last week we thought it was going to be Oregon and Washington. We thought it was going to be them in the Big Ten by the end of the weekend. Um, that didn't happen. There's now rumors where Oregon could resurface in a new look Big 12 slash Pac-12, which now Notre Dame holds all the cards, which we know their affiliation with the ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the five-game schedule model with football. Of course, they're a full-fledged member in basketball, as, as along with baseball and other sports um, that the ACC provides that the Big Ten doesn't provide. But if they were to get get out of their, their agreement with the ACC – with the scheduling model, and join the Big Ten, that would be the death blow to the Atlantic Coast Conference. thing that's most likely going to happen. So with all of this on the table, has brought upon what's going to happen to the ACC. Well, the problem is, is that you have a commissioner who literally got the job on the basis of he could, he was the best candidate to get Notre Dame to commit as a full-time ACC member. The only time that happened was during a COVID pandemic season. Doesn't really count. We haven't made any further progress to Notre Dame becoming a full-time member. Anybody. John Swafford had made more progress as the commissioner of the ACC to help this school as a – or to help this conference as a football conference. And that is a guy that came from Carolina. And what was one of the biggest things people said about him? He, he didn't care enough about football. And he shouldn't. And the thing is, is you hired a guy in Jim Phillips to supposedly come in and take you to another level football-wise, which now, in the grand scheme of things, probably makes some sense. But it seems like you hired the wrong guy because I think altogether they – most people probably, especially in those offices – these commissioner offices, they probably knew this was coming at some point. Yes. But the problem is, is it to me, it does not feel like you have the right you, – you don't have the right guy because he hasn't done anything to strengthen the ACC right now. This is the closest the ACC has been to dissolving. And right now, the, the team that we the, – the school that we have to rely on to bail the ACC out is a school that we've been trying. I mean, this is this is basically like a high school crush that you've had since freshman year, and you're now trying to put on the full press with what April, May of your senior year. Like this, you have waited way too long for this, and now you're in a pickle. Yeah, and um, the good news is for Carolina is if the ACC were to dissolve. 
And as we sit here on July 5th, if I had to bet, I would say the ACC is the one conference of all the conferences that are out there, even the Pac-12. I think the ACC is in the is in the worst spot to surviving. The good news mm. is for Carolina is that baby blue, that Argyle is a national brand, which means that they're going to have their fair share of options. To be honest, they should be looking themselves to exit the ACC as opposed to waiting for the ACC to be ripped apart by the Big Ten or the SEC anyhow, and they have to figure out where they go. We talked about this last summer, and I think it still remains the same, that the best option for them, what makes the most sense, would be the Big Ten. From a from a from an academic standpoint, from a financial standpoint, because the Big Ten's TV contract is up in 2024, um, it will exceed a billion dollars. So you're talking you're talking professional sports revenue money. Yeah, I mean they're they're saying Maryland Payne, I believe, or it was it was either no Nicole Auerbach. I think that was who. It, well, one of the two of them uh, did say that they expect the revenue for individual schools to be at 80 to 100 million in between one of those two areas with their next TV contract. I mean that is insane amounts of money to sort of sum up the difference between where the ACC right now is as opposed to that. The ACC schools are getting about 17 million a year. Yeah, so you're talking about roughly anywhere from 30 to 50 million dollars more right. in, in other conferences. And the SEC <laughs> It's going to exceed north of $100 million. 100, 100 to 120 So here's the thing. Everybody's first question about this is going to be, well, guys, there is a thing called the grant of rights. Okay. Most of that, in order to get out of that, involves what? A substantial payout. You just heard those figures right there. They could repay it back in two years. Easily. Now, I will say this. When you brought up Notre Dame earlier, one thing that's interesting about Notre Dame is Notre Dame would have to pay to get out of the agreement with the ACC, and they would have to pay to get out of their own television rights with NBC. So for them, it, if if they go to the Big Ten, it could be a little bit closer for them as opposed to some of the other schools. That's why it's not going to be as tough of a decision for schools like Carolina, Clemson, Florida State, etc., Whenever they get approached, as opposed to Notre Dame, who has other stuff that they have to pay to get out. That's why it's going to take longer. But I think you're right. I think, look, whenever that Notre Dame domino falls, and the Big Ten, one of the reasons that Oregon, Washington, that stuff was sort of cut out, Big Ten pretty much told them, hey, we're waiting on Notre Dame. We'll see what Notre Dame does, and then after that, we'll we'll let you know. Once that domino falls... That's when, and I'm talking about normally, even in, we remember realignment, you know, back in the early 2010s. It took a couple of months for things. That when that domino falls for Notre Dame, Carolina, Carolina literally has to have a plan. Bubba Cunningham has to have a plan ready to go. And I think you're right. I think the Big Ten is probably the best spot for them. One, because I know that, first of all, if they go to the SEC, there will be no more of the Olympic sports. Lacrosse, gone. Um, I'm not sure about soccer, but there, 
field hockey, lacrosse, those kind of sports would be gone. They don't have them in the SEC. They don't play those sports in the South. So from that standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense to go to the Big Ten. My my thinking, the, the argument that I would make for the SEC is that, one, I believe there are more natural rivals. I don't think there's really an argument with that because, okay, first of all, in basketball, Kentucky, very easy one. Um, football, less established, but remember, there is, you know, an older rivalry there and still kind of hanging around with South Carolina. Tennessee, yeah, yeah I no. mean, there's some dislike between, there's some general dislike between certain fan bases where if you go to the Big Ten, do we have general, like, do Ohio State fans not like Tar well, fans? You, I, I don't think so. Like, you, that's, get, you get Maryland back. That's the one that you have in your favor. You're going to have Michigan and Michigan State, teams that you have history with uh, in play tournament play. Okay, but I wouldn't put those over Kentucky. Also, here's the other thing. You have no idea what teams are coming with you. Uh, well, because if, if right now. If you're going to the Big Ten, you're taking Duke with you. Maybe, but I, I just because this is the thing because they look academically they make a they make a ton of sense because if if they're going to preserve the rivalry, and that's that's more important than anything here when it comes to where Carolina goes. It's more important than dollars. It's more important than a mediocre ass football program. You got to preserve that rivalry. Well, I get that. I you've get got, that. You've but you got to go to the big but ten. But here's here's the problem. First of all, football is always going to drive everything. It it has for years, and that's why. Like, look, Carolina's, it, it, Carolina's football program— It shouldn't for Carolina. No, 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 but it doesn't matter. Carolina's football program is good enough. They recruit on a high enough level. They're in a, a big enough market. There, there's enough there where you can— where conferences like the Big Ten will take that on. Look at some of the teams that play in the Big Ten right now. Illinois, Indiana, uh, Rutgers. I mean, they, they don't have great football traditions, so— that's not a problem for them. Duke, now that, see, that's the thing. And the thing that, with, with Duke, that if I was somebody that was a Duke fan, the thing that would scare me is they don't seem to want any part of Kansas. Nope. And that's a school that's very, very similar to Duke in that they don't really have a great football program, but they do have... They're, they're, I mean, I don't, I don't know how great Kansas is academically. I'm going to be honest. I don't really know. It's, it's a rather regarded institution. D- Duke is, Duke is prestigious. So the Big Ten values that, but they're not going to value that over how much value can you bring us football wise. My thing for Carolina, as a whole athletic association, are you? I get that you really want to preserve that rivalry, but if it's you have to preserve that rivalry or. You're basically, I mean, are you going to get stuck in no man's land? This is the thing that really sucks about the way that this works. You can't. You can't. That that rivalry means more than anything else. But but I'm going to tell you. From our athletic department. I'm going to tell you, buddy. The people in the athletic department definitely don't think that. No, I disagree with that. because Because they are worried about keeping their own athletic department afloat. Because if you, if they were to lose that affiliation with either one of those conferences, the ACC was to disband completely. That means they're more than likely left to play in, be an independent in football. You go join the Big East in basketball and take Duke with you. But you're not the 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 basketball revenue for the Big East is not 
It's it, there's no way it's anywhere near what you've got for football. You add, and into, you add and Carolina, Duke. You you're, you'll bring Kansas with you. And it's if, st- dude, I, I'm telling and you, then it's you add, still not going to be on then, that same. And then level. you add Gonzaga. If that's what you're going to do to preserve that rivalry, then that's what you got to do. And I'm t- and I th- that money that money talks. They're not going to worry when you're when you're bringing in a hundred. Eight eighty to a hundred million dollars a year. Is it worth? I it get to, where to, to not be competitive because you're not going to be any more competitive with more money. I mean, yeah, I think that's what it is. Like they but, don't. I, I'm telling you because this we we had Charles Arbuckle from ESPN on earlier this morning with us, and I think he said it best. There is no such thing as loyalty to the college sport anymore. There's no such thing as wanting to preserve rivalry. Everything in college sports these days is about money. Basically, college college football is becoming NFL light and college basketball is becoming NBA light. That's what it is. There's so much money that is becoming involved in college sports that now it's just uh, there is the, it's it's all about how much money can you make, and and you have to be like that because if you don't, your athletic department could go under. Like that's the thing because if you become independent, you don't have a TV contract at all for football, and football revenue wise drives every single athletic department, even Carolinas, just because of how much those TV contracts are worth, and because I mean just. From a game day perspective, even if you're you have a stadium that is half full, it is more people in that stadium than inside of the Smith Center. That's how it works. Like it's you you don't build basketball facilities that big. Carolinas is one of the biggest in the entire country. So this is the part that really stinks about this is that they and I this is the thing I hate the most about this. Don't let me fool you into thinking that I am on the side of these people that want to go into these big conferences. I don't. I want the ACC to still last because I love the ACC. But ultimately, I just don't see an avenue right now if the ACC is inevitably going under that Carolina doesn't hop into one of these conferences. And unfortunately, right now, they they have to think for themselves. They can't worry about the other. You can't say, look, we have to have Duke, we have to have State, or else we're not going to one of these conferences. I, you're stuck. You've, you've got no choice because, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, maybe Duke's brand is, is big enough to where they can actually follow Carolina somewhere. If it's that's, the Big Ten, yeah. That's what they need, is they need, they need to find... So they need to know that Duke's brand is big enough, but but Carolina can't worry about that. Carolina's brand, I I and look, this isn't even me. Just this isn't a homer take. Out of all the teams in the ACC, I don't give a damn what these other these other people say. Carolina's brand's the biggest brand in the ACC, and it's not even to me. It's not even close. Maybe Miami is a close second, but these people that say, "Well, Clemson's more valuable," no, it's not. Carolina's brand is the most valuable of the ACC members. It 
is probably one of, if not the most valuable, in the entire country. So they are going to be sought after. There is no doubt about that. Well, when you look at the last two the times this happened, it was two rivals that went together. Texas and Oklahoma, together, SEC. UCLA, USC, together, they go to the Big Ten. So Carolina and Duke, together, can go to the Big Ten. Now, they can't both go to the SEC because the SEC would value NC State over Duke. Makes sense from a football from a football standpoint. I mean, so, my, my thing— so they, they're going to work with one of those two schools if if they were Hopefully. to actively leave, if they actively look to leave. The thing that concerns me is we haven't really heard that though. We've heard we've heard a lot of these. We're trying to single, we're trying to grab single schools. We've heard a lot of people saying we want to grab Clemson. We want to grab this Florida gonna, State. It's going to be done in two, so that's why it's going to happen. It's going to happen with with like with, if Miami goes, Florida State's going to go with them, or. If Clemson goes, they'll either choose between Miami or Florida State to go with them, and that's that's the way that it is, um, you know. Because like if if the ACC gets Notre Dame to lock in as a football member, then they're all, then they're in a different situation where now you're being proactive. Now you're going back to the Big Twelve to poach whether it's West Virginia or Oklahoma State or whoever it is. To then come join your conference because now you've now you're the big player. I just think that's going to happen, and this all comes back to hiring a guy who had no vision for the conference moving forward outside of relocating the the headquarters from Greensboro to Charlotte. That's the only vision he ever had. And guess what? As of right now, that vision don't mean anything. It and don't even look like that's that's going to be another project that's supposed to come to Charlotte. And isn't going to show up. And I up. want that to happen. I want them to start building the building, and well, ha- halfway through the well, building, they're never going to do that. First of all, halfway through the ACC crumbles, and we just have a half-built building f- in Charlotte. First of all, they just got they just got approved for that. I don't even think they're going to be able to mark the land at this point before this will be decided. I I'm going to tell you, I would not be shocked if this stuff is all sorted out before ACC media days. Because if not. If not, I'm going to be honest. There's almost no point in even trying to listen to or or watch what they're saying on ACC Media Days. It is going to mean nothing because they will they will there will be questions about this year's teams. The majority of it is going to be what do you make of conference realignment? What do you think about your team? And it, honestly, I I don't I don't I don't want to deal with that. I don't care what these coaches have to say about that. Because what are these guys gonna say? They're gonna say we're gonna play wherever whatever conference we're in. Yep. I, I mean, and you know, so from look, from a football side of things, just focusing on the Carolina angle, from the football side of things, I think it's pretty it's pretty obvious. Regardless of which conference they go in, Carolina is going to have to step their game up. Big time if they want to even remotely compete in either one of those conferences. Um, again, from a rivalry standpoint in football, SEC's probably the way that you would go. It's also the tougher conference, though. So, will the SEC look, try you know try to come after Carolina? Definitely. One, 
The TV market in Charlotte, they definitely want to want to get that. First of all, you know how they want to get that? Their headquarters are right here in Charlotte, and they don't have a team that plays in the state of North Carolina. So that tells you they want this market. And, I mean, look, if they could bring that rivalry of Carolina and NC State, I think that's one of the more underrated rivalries in the sport of college football. So I think you could definitely see that happen. So they will be sought after there. Big Ten, well, they're going to want, first of all, they don't give a damn about where these schools are located anymore. They want every possible market that they can get. So, of course, they're going to want to extend into North Carolina. And the other thing is both that both conferences want to expand their recruiting footprint even further. They want their schools to be able to come into these states more easily and find recruits because they will play in these states. So, I think from a football side of things, either way, this is not this is not great for Carolina. You you would I I guess maybe you're rooting for them. I I don't know to go independent, but that I don't know how much that really helps them either because then you won't be more than likely you'll be, if if they go independent, you better get like what Apple TV, Hulu, like they they're not they're not going to be on a normal channel because they would be an independent school so. The payday isn't gonna help their standing as a football school. They get they just gotta. I mean, they would have to start winning. The good news is is that the last few years they're recruiting on the level that they would need to to be at least competitive in these conferences. But you were looking at a situation where your goal was to get to a point where you made the ACC championship. If you go into the Big Ten or the SEC. It's going to be really hard because, first of all, there will be no divisions in those conferences. It will be the top two teams because there's going to be, in this scenario, if this actually plays out, there will more than likely be 20 20 to 24 teams in your conference. So it will be very similar to old conferences way back in the 40s and 50s. It was a 26-team conference. And that was when they were actually at their best. So I, who, either way, if you're a Tar Heel football fan, this should probably concern you because of the level of competition that you're facing. Now, you go over to the basketball side of things. I think the concern on the basketball side of things are the rivalries. It's No, it's a rivalry. Well, I think, look, they're, the teams, the ACC, ba- ACC basketball as a whole, just losing that, and look, I know there's going to be some freaking old heads that are listening to this and are going to be like, it's not it's not what it used to be well, in no, the ACC. It, it's not. I get that. It's not. I get that. But you're still talking about the best conference in college basketball. You're still talking about, look, we've seen it develop over the last few years. Carolina and Virginia has sort of turned into a little bit of a rivalry. Um you know, I, I mean, there there are some matchups within this conference that you look forward to every year, and now that would be out the window. You would be splitting this conference completely. Pretty, that's that's pretty much what would end up happening. Is more than likely you would have what? I, see, it's confusing because Notre Dame's in there, but I guess we're going to take them out anyway. So it's the remaining fourteen teams. They would. Almost certainly be split probably 7-7 down the middle. Maybe 8-6. D- 
to these different conferences. And so then you lose all that tradition and history of ACC basketball. You're then unless unless there's a scenario where like where the Big East exists as a basketball conference, the ACC remains. See, but this is the problem as a basketball conference because I have not heard anything to suggest that that would be the setup that they have right now. And and you look at the Big East conference. How many of those schools that are in the Big East conference right now play football? Well, they all play football. It just depends on what level of football so, they some, play at. Well, not not all of them. I don't like. I, I don't know. I've never seen St. John's playing football. To be fair, they don't play basketball well, so I don't really think I'd want to see their football program. But like, yeah, you've got like Villanova's D two. Yep. Um, Georgetown, I think they're D two. They might be D three. Like, so that Carolina's not. Their football program is is better than that. They are going to still remain in D one. Well, so, yeah, but you could you could remain the ACC as a basketball conference, right? But what I'm saying is, I don't think that the SEC or Big Ten wants that. Well, they want you to be full fledged members, which and, is why I think Carolina's best route ultimately is to be an independent in one and keep a conference affiliation in the other, whether it's in the ACC. Well, first of all, you can't you can't be independent in basketball. That's or, a, that's that's torpedoing. Or you, um, or the ACC and the the Big East merge, and you have the Big ACC or whatever you want to call it, and you bring along with you Duke. You'd bring Kansas, which would be weird, from all, just because. Well, of, at that point, again, regional stuff doesn't cause matter. Cause Everything's of our out affiliation the with Kansas. It'd be weird playing them in a conference game and. Um, I, I think that's ultimately where Carolina's – that's going to be Carolina's best bet to be to be competitive in both sports. Now, financially, would it be the most beneficial? No, because you're not going to make as much money as an independent because you're not Notre Dame or you're, and you're not even BYU, who as an independent thrives financially because they have a brand. I don't know, though. I, I... – if there was a team that could do it, it could probably be Carolina. I I could legitimately see, but you would Carolina potentially having in, their own as an independent playing an SEC Big Ten schedule. You just wouldn't be part of the conference because, like, once this happens, you're no longer playing Group of Five schools. From a football standpoint, there, that, there's there's pretty that's much go out the window. There's pretty much a complete separation of Power Five and Group of Five. Yes, and there there will be teams. In that scenario, even if they were to go up to 24, there will be teams that will be left on the outside that that will they will be left in no man's land. Vanderbilt, some of those like there will be. Well, no, Vandy's in the SEC. Some some of those, yeah, they're not. They well, they won't. Here's the reason they're not going to kick Vandy out of the SEC. Vandy's academics are unbelievably high. They the, don't care. the conference, no, but they need that one school that carries them, and the amount of money that that school has is unprecedented. Plus, what do they care about Vandy? That's the one team they they sit there and beat up on. They don't really care. You're not I would be stunned if you saw any schools kicked out of these conferences. I don't see that happening. No, 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 that's definitely going to happen. If if they're going to fully expand to 2024 teams, the yeah, the SEC will sacrifice Vandy's academics for Virginia Virginia Tech and the Big 10 will do the same thing with Rutgers. Or even Maryland, because I, I because, just, because there's, poaching, there's no way because man. poaching them 
has turned out to be the wrong decision for, for both teams because it hasn't helped their TV market, and neither program's taken any step forward on the football field. They've been rather mediocre basketball-wise, but I think Carolina's best route is to is is going to be if the ACC dissolves, and I think this is going to happen. And it's what it this is what they deserve. And I hate saying that because I understand why Swafford added those big those Big East schools back in the mid two thousands. He had to get the football somewhat on par. wasn't worth it. You you won three national championships in twenty years. Well, so he, he it, had it wasn't to, it wasn't worth sacrificing your soul to that. Well, he had to do it anyways because here's the thing: if he doesn't add those schools, then you're probably at the point that the Big Twelve is at right now. Where here's the thing about the Big Twelve: if the Big Twelve does not combine with the Pac-12, it will be gone. There is no and wh- when they originally lost Texas and Oklahoma last year, we thought they could be gone then. Mm-hmm. So that was the point that it, all of these guys have had their hands forced. And that's the other thing. I'm not saying that what Jim Phillips is trying to do is easy. None of this is easy. None of this makes any sense. Because, again, we as fans of these sports, we do not – of course we don't like this. We don't like change. We like – look, I could get on board with some of the conference realignment – some of the stuff that just happened last year, I was like, okay, that's that's not really that bad. I understand the moves. This this idea that pretty much one of, if not the most historic overall conference, when you just look at all the sports combined together, will completely disappear is just, I mean, that is unbelievably mind-blowing to me. That that makes to me it makes absolutely no sense. But here's the thing. If you look back at the biggest thing that started this round of conference realignment and everything that's going on, this is where you can blame Jim Phillips. When the college football playoff was set to expand back, you know, a few months ago, he was the guy that sort of spearheaded the push to not have the college football playoff expand. Mm-hmm. That's what the alliance was supposed to be for. And he trusted a guy in Kevin Warren who stabbed him in the back. And I'm blanking on the Pac-12 commissioner right uh, George Kalitnikoff. There you go. He he he's, He stabbed both of those guys in the back. And now we are here today. Why in the why you thought as the ACC commissioner, a guy who, first of all, this past year did not have a representative in the college football playoff, and since the invention of the college football playoff, you have had exactly two teams that have made the college football playoff, mm-hmm. and one of them was Florida State the first year, and they haven't been heard from since. Why you didn't want to expand the college football playoff is beyond me, and that is what set all of this off. If the college football playoff expands, the TV contracts were going to be bigger for these other conferences. There's not as much push to leave the Pac-12 from USC and UCLA because there's an avenue to get to the playoff, even if you're not one of the four best teams in college football, which most teams that are in the Pac-12 will not fit that billing anytime soon. And he was the one that went in there and torpedoed this whole thing. So, again... He's the, he 
shoulders a lot of responsibility here for what is happening. And he's going to be the guy that's going to be looked at as the villain of this whole thing when we look back on why college football became what it what it did become. Oh, he's 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 a he was dead to me when he got hired. He's he's even more dead to me now. Yeah, um, and ex- and especially if if somehow Carolina and Duke get separated, like he he's he's officially he's officially. Put the the conference on life support by literally doing nothing, but that's that's the problem. Is that in in this in this world of college athletics, where leadership is few and far between, but the two conferences that have it, the Big Ten and the SEC, they're thriving because those two commissioners they're visionaries, they're proactive. Well, we, the other to we, be to be we've fair, got a, we've got a reactive commissioner who. Um, when he took the job, was tone deaf, and has proven to be tone deaf for three years now. And in the end, he's going to be without a conference and without a job. And I'm not going to feel sorry for him. Well, I will say this. John Swafford, you also screwed the ACC with the TV deal that you but made. He ha- that he, is a historically He had to make the deal at TV that deal. time to – Stave off the SEC poaching Clemson and Florida State, and he he, it was rushed. So it's something that should have been being planned. Say what you want about years. the TV deal is that every time Swafford had to save his conference, he saved his conference. Yeah, we hired some outsider just to the hope of bringing us a, a team that doesn't belong in the ACC anyway. He's not going to get the job done. The conference is going to fold, and you're going to look at. 65 years or so, even maybe even more, of athletic excellence. Not just from Carolina. Carolina's a big part of the athletic excellence that the ACC has. With its original members and the ones that they've added, it's all going to be – it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to waste. And there's going to be a generation of kids that will never understand what the ACC was, what it meant, and how important it was to the fabric of where we live and where we talk sports in Charlotte. And that that's the saddest thing is that we love college sports for many different reasons because it's not professional sports. And people are going to blame NIL. It's not, it's not NIL that's doing this. This is the TV money yep. that exists in pro sports as it should. Those guys are professional athletes. These kids aren't professional athletes. They are amateur athletes. Um, and, and that's what's caused all this. And um, there's, there's, there's going it's, it's to it's gonna turn off the average viewer to college athletics. And the, the, the bottom line is is that these ADs, these head coaches, they're not going to care because they're going to be stuffing their pockets with more and more millions of dollars while being tone deaf and turning a black eye on the audience Bl- that, blind eye, that blind has uh, – no, it's going to be a black eye because someone's going to get punched in the face. Oh. Uh, it's it, it, on the audience that has allowed them to be in a position to make the money that, that, that they've made. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And hopefully Carolina lands in a situation that benefits them – from a basketball standpoint, first and foremost, because that's what's most important, um, and in a situation where they can be 
mediocre in football, but still make money. And that's most likely going to be the Big Ten or the SEC or maybe a uh, a revamped Big 12 as they try to go get Pac-12 schools. And uh, the one country we thought was going to be left for dead and the one commissioner we thought was going to be left for dead, he's got off his high horse the last year and a half or so. He saved his conference. And uh, the ACC is going to that they're going to sit there and they're going to watch the world burn. Well, I mean, he's got he's got a shot. We talked about it. Notre Dame's your one shot. You've got to hope that you can somehow get a more lucrative television deal out there. I think, you know, the smartest avenue at this point would probably be to approach CBS, who's going to lose the SEC here. Some I I don't remember when exactly it is, but it's sometime soon. And that's probably your your hope. Now, this was reported today. This will be the last thing. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and then we're, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up and get out of here. The There was a report today from Pete Thamel of ESPN that said that there is an idea being toyed around of basically the, Pac, the remaining teams in the Pac-12 combining with the teams in the ACC, and it will basically be the ACC with East and West conferences or divisions. I I don't know exactly how that's going, but that would be the one proposed plan to try to save it. So at this point, this is the thing. If this conference is going to last, it will not look anything like the ACC that you were used to, that you have gotten used to, it will be a completely different conference with schools that are not even remotely close to Carolina. But that would probably be the one way that you can save the conference. We'll see. Yeah. I think at this point, we're, we're kind of hopelessly optimistic that's the best way I can put it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm trying to hold out just a slight bit of optimism that they will find a way to pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Uh, we, we're not – I, I, I'm not sure if we're going to put anything on the website about this. I don't think we figured that out just yet. Um, I – it's it's weird because this is something we could write an article about this and the ACC could be around for another two years. Mm-hmm. We could write an article about this and while we're writing the article, the ACC can completely dissolve. So it's a really tricky subject to try to write about. Um, I think also a big part of it is that, frankly, we don't want to write the article. <laughs> I mean, we... we Seriously, we do not want to write an article about this conference disappearing. As much as we hate some of these some of the teams in this conference, as much as we hate playing some of the teams in this conference, mainly on the football side of things, you it is extremely difficult to think about a landscape where they will not be playing these teams in some form or fashion year in and year out. So we're going to monitor the situation. If something does happen, we will, of course, have it for you on the website. But as of right now, you know, with, especially with where we're at in the calendar, 
It is July, so we are getting ready to, I mean, we are a month away from camp starting for Tar Heel football. So we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to monitor this. We're going to keep following. There's still a lot of stuff going on on the football recruiting trail. We've we've got some some confusion on the basketball recruiting trail that we're also kind of monitoring as well, and you never really know when something's going to pop up with one of the other classes or in the 23 class for basketball as well. So we're going to monitor all this stuff, but uh, the main focus will still be on what is going on on the field and on the court and on both of those recruiting trails. Uh, in terms of the recruiting trail for Tar Heel football, one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They're up to number 18 uh, all the way from outside of the top 50 in the class. So it was a little bit of a slow burn there early on. Um, but like a lot of the teams nationally, Carolina started to pick up steam here as they've gotten into the month of June. They've had an extremely successful last week. When they landed the commitment last night of Chris Culliver, that was eight commitments in eight days for Tar Heel football. So the staff really starting to round into form. They've landed a bunch of big-time in-state prospects. You could check out all of those, all eight of those uh, those recruiting articles, uh, those commitment articles on the website. I am going to tweet those out. I will do that tonight. I promise you that on the last edition of the show, but uh, there was just a ton of – every time it seems like I'm going to be able to do that, there's a new commitment announcement that's posted or something like that. So this time I will put that out for you guys. You guys will be able to check that out. Um and, and go back and read about all those prospects. Uh, and then, of course, it's about that time. It is almost time to start writing position previews already for the 2022 football season. Uh, again, if you guys are new to the website, go I go in-depth on every single position group breakdown. Uh, all the guys that are a uh, part of that position group and tell you, you know, which guys I think are going to contribute, sort of lay out what is in each one of those position rooms. So you do not want to miss those. Those will be coming out here throughout the next month over on the website. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, buddy, it is uh, it is a little bit quiet for sure, but uh, things hopefully about to pick up here soon. Yeah, no, we're, we're in the official dead period for Carolina basketball. The guys are on campus. They're going through summer ball, um, but – Hubert Davis will be busy in an active month of recruiting coming up with a lot of uh, various uh, AAU tournaments around the circuit. Of course, there's rumors about a, a, a potential decommitment from G.G. Jackson. We'll keep you up to date with the latest on that. But before you know it, they're already starting to release some details of the conference schedule. You've got the ACC Big Ten Challenge opponent. That's coming out. Is that, wait a second. Is that going to be – so are, are we playing future conference opponents? Very this well, way? maybe. Um, and before you know, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have a schedule for the ACC season. Carolina will finalize its non-conference slate very soon, and it's it's July fifth. But they start practice in little over in a little over two months. So, and before and when when once they get once they get ready for practice, we'll be getting you ready for what's going to be an exciting but pressured field 2022-23 season. Which, if you go back and check out the last edition of the podcast. Former Tar Heel Michael Norwood says it's national title or bust for the Tar Heels, and Woo! we'll be getting you ready to take you through it um, as we get closer and closer to the start of, of of the college basketball season. Yeah, and on the podcast, I believe also we've got some pretty uh, unique versions of the podcast that are coming up. 
we are uh, we are currently planning. If you guys were with us earlier in the year, back for the second Duke game, it was the second Duke game preview. We had Colin Hoggard, uh, who was on with us, one of our guys that that listens to the podcast religiously, um, and you know, is a huge Tario fan. We actually work with him here at at WFNZ. Actually, work for him, but uh, I work with him. Well, he might work for him. I thing. work with him. Here's the thing: I didn't want us to seem like to the listeners we were forced to put him on. We put him on because we really like his opinions. We think he's he, he's a great dude to talk basketball with because he's done it for a long, long time. We are planning for an edition of the podcast where we have Judge Hoggard sit in. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if I've been more excited for an edition of the podcast, mainly so I can argue with you with someone to rule in in our favors. This is going to be one of the, the – it's not going to be the Hubert Davis Apology Podcast. That, that's the greatest podcast we've ever done, in my opinion. Not in your opinion, in my opinion, but this one, I, there, there are some some really cool things that I think you guys are going to want to stick around for and check out uh, with us here over the summer. So, even though it's a little bit quiet, there's some cool things coming on the way. So that's that wraps it up for this edition of the Four Corners and the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Make sure you guys head over to the website, as we mentioned. Check it out, HeelToughBlog.com. Check out both podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for them. Uh, and uh, also, make sure you head over to the social media pages, at HeelToughBlog, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, just go into the search bar, search Heel Tough Blog. It'll pop up there. And when you go there, make sure that you follow the Twitter page. Also, like the Facebook page. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, and uh, other than that, uh, I think that's it. So uh, <laughs> hopefully by the next time we do a, a podcast, hopefully we will still have a conference. But for now, I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.